All right, well, we are in the uh, tail end. In fact, this is the last week of our series, uh, Mercy, Justice, and Love. And we want to highlight uh, Celebrate Recovery. But beyond the Celebrate Recovery ministry, really the biblical invitation for all of us, if we're struggling with hurts or habits or hangups, addictions, emotional wounds, mental illness, all of it, yep. we can walk a, a very complex journey of relationship with God, relationship with each other. And you two are leading the way, right? Yep. Rich uh, Zerpo, you uh, have been here for 32 I came years. I 1909. Oh. <laughs> oh, uh, wait. I mean, 1989. 1989. Great, great. And Lydia, you've been here for seven years, right? Yes, yes I And have. we're happy to have you both. You're both uh, leading Celebrate Recovery. And uh, Rich, tell us your journey. How did you get here? How did you get to the recovery yeah. ministry? It is a, a process, right? So I was one of those kids that grew up without much guidance or whatever, went down a willful path and got myself in a lot of trouble and ended up at a program called Teen Challenge and the Jesus Movement many, many years ago. But what they were involving in, it was caring for people who were maybe kind of in street people, had no life, not no parenting, whatever. And when I entered that, it was a drug rehabilitation program still going on today. They have a beautiful facility in Riverside, which is free, by the way, for men and women. But when I came into that, I realized Christ, he wanted to touch my life. He's my savior, he's my Lord. And as that was developing, but it was the people around me also, I realized these are people who are strengthening me. They're encouraging me. They want me to succeed. They want to see the best come out of that. And as I was being restored and recovered, coming back to my sanity, so to speak, I realized I was a wounded healer. I was, I was recovering, and yet there was that soft spot in my heart for people. And so they would say, hey, Rich, it's about loving God, loving others. And I look around, and I'd go, hey, I sense something in you. I care for what's going on. And as I stepped into that, like you mentioned last service, I ended up volunteering and things like a 24-hour suicide hotline and different things, and it just kept evolving. And so when we came here, my lovely wife and I, in uh, 1989, and ultimately with you becoming pastor, we began to realize, wait a second, you know, no matter what community you go to, people have struggles. Right. And you were so kind to be able to say to us, well, why don't you develop something here? We are. We're going to see if there's something we can do here. Now here we are starting that 15 years ago with Saddleback's help because they initiated it. 15 years of every Thursday night, year-round. Yeah for hundreds of people that have come and found the same hope and the love of God. And it is amazing the amount of people that have been helped through Celebrate Recovery, the fact that it is a wide open door, everybody is welcome. You don't have to get yourself put together, just come exactly as you are. Every Thursday night, 6.30, right here. You guys even met during the pandemic. You were outside and in the rain, and that's right, it was great. We were, it was pouring rain. We had, the church was kind enough to provide space heaters for us. Yep, yep. And we set up chairs underneath the shelter, and yeah. we just made it work. I mean, we had... You know. Six feet apart with masks, yeah. and we just did it. Yeah, yeah. because freezing. You, you, well, freezing, <laughs> but you you never say no to helping people. Yeah. Both of you. So you know, really, since you came out of recovery, like you said, on hotlines and counseling, and then on staff here and bringing celebrate recovery and helping so many hundreds of people every Thursday night for 15 years, it's remarkable. And how fast the week goes by and struggles come up and everything, and for a yeah. place to be able to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Linda, what brought you to Rancho and the Celebrate Recovery Ministry? Um, well, we moved here in 2014 from Orange County, and we found pretty quickly Rancho as our church home. And I had been really struggling. Um, I had a past that included drug addiction. Um, I, I struggled with that for about 10 years, all through my 20s. And once I put my life together, I decided, I, I was certain that I was unlovable, unforgivable, and that I must never, ever 
let anybody see what I used to be or used to do. And um, so I tried very hard to keep that behind me, but the shame and just that I was exhausted from carrying so many secrets and it just seemed to get heavier every year. And I was sitting here and I heard there was a whole service dedicated to celebrate recovery. And I had thought, well, that's for addicts and alcoholics and I'm not one of those anymore. So I don't wanna go walking through those doors and give people the wrong idea. And then I started hearing the different groups and the way it was broken down so beautifully. It isn't just to service one or two communities. It's everyone is struggling with something. Right. You know, and I heard words like shame, anxiety, fear, and exposure. And I thought, check, 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 that's me. <laughs> and um, so we were leaving and I told my husband, I think I need to go. And you know, I had always envisioned that there was a distance between God and me that and in between the, in that gap was this big pile of garbage yeah. that was all of the things I had ever done wrong. And my thought was, if I could do enough good, I'll try hard to be, um, to, you know, balance the scales. But as hard as I tried, I never seemed to find that freedom. And I was, I was like in bondage to my shame. Wow. And now it's seven years, of course. And yeah. as we mentioned before, they, uh, to con connect with what she's saying, when Saddleback created this with God's help, of course, the uniqueness of it was, okay, well, let's have men meet with men and women with women for confidentiality, for safety. But each group, different phases of different life, whether it might be suicide issue or issues with emotional care or mental issues or substance abuse or whatever, but you're walking into a group with people who have also walked down that road a little ways and we're working together, caring for one another and we, shall we say, bleed together because we're wounded healers. And it's amazing what that kind of non-judgmental, safe environment creates for people to grow. And that's really who Jesus is, right? The, the whole power of the gospel, the message of Jesus is that he too is a wounded healer. That's why the cross is the symbol of the Christian faith. You know, that cross where Jesus himself was wounded in every way, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, and yet he, he rose. And that idea of wounding and healing is the rhythm of the Christian faith, which means no one is shut out, no one. And so, you know, what grieves, I think the heart of God, it grieves us is when, you know, church communities or religious communities say, well, you got to straighten yourself out first in order to come. Or when maybe unintentionally, but the teaching is almost as you described, that there's this big trash heap called sin between you and God, and you got to clean yourself up in order to feel worthy, in order to feel close to God. That's not the gospel. That's religion. The gospel, the good news is that there is no trash heap in the eyes of God. He looks at us and says, you're perfect. You're my perfect daughter. You're my perfect son. And he knows our wounds. He knows our choices, but says we're walking healing based on grace love and acceptance. And you two have, you know, now spent so much of your time and energy giving that same love and acceptance to people around and, you. And because one of the things you'll mention in your message there is because you cannot put a clock on how people recover. Everybody right. does it differently. Yeah. So uh, the reason we did it every week year round was because people would come in at different times at right. different places in their life and say, you know, sometimes, hey, I just need a little shot, a little boost, a little get me up. And it's an arm of the church, so people could do other things too. Come to the services, go to a marriage class, whatever it was that put the pieces together to see the success. It's been wonderful. And that's, you know, it's really kind of that whatever it takes mentality to help yeah. people, no matter where they're at, if they have excluded themselves from joy, if they've excluded themselves from freedom in their relationship with God, if they've excluded themselves from relationships because of the things that they have endured or have done, 
Um, it, whatever it takes to get people free, whatever it takes to get people to experience the joy of God's grace, Touch you know, we'll do lo- it. Love of God. Exactly. So Celebrate Recovery is out there today, and yes. you've had some good we've conversations already. We've had some people already. come already. Yeah. One of the things, as we've mentioned, because women with women, men with men, a woman did come, and she wanted to talk to a woman and yeah. then to spend some time with her. Well, it's, a safe, it's a safe place for safe everyone. Place. Now, Rich, bittersweet, you are retiring from yes. leading Celebrate Recovery and retiring from staff at Rancho, and you've been on our staff team for quite a long time, and uh, I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but kind of my favorite. <laughs> my wife's too. <laughs> yeah, it's not, just who not, you are. It's not so bad being pay, paying the pastor to say things. <laughs> right. But, you know, you've got so much wisdom and so much experience. Uh, you know, we've got a very diverse staff and all kinds of opinions and maybe some youthful energy, and you just put the right bits of grace and wisdom into our staff team. So we are a better staff as a result of your wisdom. Uh, I also have to say on a, um, on a personal level, when I became lead pastor here, you were on the board, the governing board, uh, what we now call our governing pastors. And there was 19 men, most of, we, most of whom are 20 or 30 years older than me. I'm a snot-nosed kid, like 33, 34 years old. And uh, I was hired here following a, a, a truly an incredible man of faith, Steve Strickman's. And, uh, and I thought, I'm going to fall on my face here. And here I am at the first board meeting that I'm supposed to lead. And the first thing you said, probably noticed my nervousness, first thing you said to me is, we need you to tell us what we can do to better serve you. And I will never, ever forget that moment. Never. Special. A very special moment. And uh, Rich, you were there from the beginning. I told that story to our current board, which is now um, uh, nine men and women. And, um, and they told me, one of the, the men who was there uh, said that you told them in private that we have to support our new pastor. And I felt that every step of the way. And I just cannot thank you enough for your love, your support, your encouragement. We're not saying goodbye to you and Deidre. We're just transitioning from staff to a yes. member of our congregation and handing the baton over to and Linda. The other leaders in Celebrate Recovery. That's exactly right. So you've got a good team that you've helped to build up un- under Linda's leadership, and it's going to thrive uh, as Amen. we go forward. So Amen. thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate you, buddy. Love you. Love you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. It's going to be a great season going ahead for sure. We are at the tail end of this Mercy, Justice, and Love series, and it has been such a pleasure to walk this journey with you all. Uh, As you know by now, our mission statement is clear. It is crystal clear that we are a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. And that mission statement is biblical. We see this in the Old Testament as God the Father is continually urging his people to bring mercy, justice, and love to the world, pointing ahead to a a savior who will one day bring the fullness of mercy, justice, and love to this world. And so we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus, this constant urging to do what Jesus calls the more important things of mercy, justice, and love. So over this series, we've talked about a heart for people in need, a heart for children in need, a heart for the powerless, a heart for the hurting, a heart for the underprivileged. Last week, we talked about a heart for uh, those with special needs. And today, we're going to talk about a heart for people who struggle, having a heart for people who struggle, specifically in three areas, people who struggle with emotional wounds, people who struggle with mental illness, and people who struggle with addiction. 
Now, I don't want to lump all these three in as one kind of category. It's not. These three are very distinct phenomenon. They're distinct journeys. One is not the other. However, they do tend to be interrelated. One tends to exacerbate the other. So for example, if you're experiencing a deep emotional wound or a mental illness, you might turn to substances to self-medicate. And when you turn to substances to self-medicate, that might make the emotional wound or the mental illness even worse. And so dual diagnosis kind of comes up, a mental illness and addiction. And so while, while these are not one and the same, they're three distinct things that we deal with and recover from on distinct paths, they do kind of intertwine as they exacerbate one another. And so we don't have time in our 25 minutes here to detail all three of these phenomenon, either from a biblical framework or from a science framework. So we're going to look at some general principles in God's word, some general principles from science uh, to allow us to identify where we might struggle, why we might struggle, and how we can walk a road of recovering. But it starts with this phrase, and it's a very important phrase, that it's okay not to be okay. Write that down. Write it on your heart. Write it on your soul. It's okay not to be okay. I'm hearing this uh, a lot more in our culture, not hearing it as much as I'd like to in, in the church world, but it is okay not to be okay. Because the reality is most of us will struggle in these areas. Some of us will struggle chronically in areas of emotional wounds, mental illness, or addiction. And these will be lifelong battles that you will have to journey through. But almost all of us are gonna struggle with these things in periods of our life, in seasons of our life where we're emotionally wounded. We might uh, have a loss of a family member, a loss of someone we love, and there's a, a deep hurt there. We might be harmed by somebody we trusted. There's a deep hurt there. So while it may not be chronic, there could be seasons, there could be periods of time. Uh, same thing with mental illness. There might be times of anxiety and times of depression that we may walk a journey that we're largely free from in moments of our lives. We might struggle with addiction, maybe not chronically, but we might struggle with addiction in periods in our lives where we get ourselves involved in habits that are destructive that we need to walk a road of recovery. It's okay not to be okay. And I love this in scripture as well. One of the things that draws me to the Bible over and over again is that the Bible is brutally honest. If you look at the heroes of the Bible, I mean the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Bible, you'll see that the scripture itself talks freely about their failures, about their struggles, speaks freely about where they've done wrong, speaks freely about the mistakes that they've made in their lives and the patterns in their lives that are causing so much destruction. You love that in God's word. It's so honest, it's so open, it's so vulnerable, right? I love Isaiah 43 that talks about the struggles of life but gives hope ahead. There is hope ahead even when life bears down upon us. Listen to this promise, and this is one of many hundreds in the Bible. Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Isn't that a great promise? The Bible doesn't say there won't be waters, there won't be rivers, there won't be fire. The Bible promises actually time and time and time again, this life will be full of struggles. It will. What does Jesus promise? And I think it's John 16, 22. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. Sometimes we don't want to memorize those promises. 
God never promises us that there won't be troubles. He never promises there won't be struggles and strife in life. There will be. The question is, how do we walk through those struggles? How do we walk through those trials? So when the waters are there and the rivers run and the fires burn, what does God say? I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You will not be overwhelmed. You will not be burned. I will walk with you. He doesn't promise easy fixes. He doesn't promise pray the pain away. God never promises like this deliverance thing where if you just have enough faith or say the right prayers, all will be well. That is not the journey. The journey is one where we walk through waters, walk through rivers, walk through fire, but God is right there by our side. And God's right there by our side, not just in, in a spiritual way, spirit to spirit, but he's by our side through each other. And this is where we become a healing community for each other. We're walking alongside of each other, being the presence of God to help bring healing to one another. Another thing that gives comfort to so many people is that Jesus himself was so compassionate and so kind to people who struggled with emotional wounds and with mental illness and with addictions. We see in the life and ministry of Jesus, which we've been focusing on obsessively through this series, is how did Jesus walk with people who were struggling? We see very famously what happened when people were experiencing an emotional wound. They had lost Lazarus. This is a pillar of their family, a friend of Jesus, the one who people relied on to give him leadership and guidance and counsel. He suddenly dies and there's great weeping. There's great suffering. There's great emotional trauma. And so they came to Jesus. And when Jesus saw Mary, Lazarus' sister, weeping, and he saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within Jesus, and he was deeply troubled. Jesus feels the struggles that we go through. He feels it. This, this caused him anger. It caused him to have a troubled spirit. He was in anguish because of the loss. He was in anguish because of the emotional trauma that these people were going through at the loss of their friend. Jesus is the fullness of God in a human being. And what did he say about God? That God grieves with us. In fact, he weeps with us. It says that Jesus wept, shortest verse of the Bible, and I love how the editors just let that stand alone. In John eleven thirty five, 35, it just sits there and says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept, the fullness of divinity, cried tears of anguish and pain and even anger at the suffering of the world around him. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. You study the ministry of Jesus, and that's basically the entirety of the ministry of Jesus is just watch how much God loves. Watch how much God cares, and you see that in the fullness of divinity in the life of Jesus, just watch how much he loves everyone, everywhere. No matter who they are, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what they've done with their lives, no matter the pain that they carry, just look how Jesus loves. So let's talk about these three categories of struggle. Let's talk about people who struggle with emotional wounds, people who struggle with emotional wounds. Now, some of us might say, all right, let's do it. Let's talk about it. I totally get that. You might have felt some emotional wounds that, that have a little bit of a weight on you, but some of you might be rolling your eyes at this uh, thought of dealing with emotional wounds. There are three types of folks who tend to roll their eyes at the thought of emotional wounds. One is kind of a generational thing. Some older people kind of roll their eyes when you talk about emotional wounds and they can kind of say, okay, here are these young snowflakes that can't deal with much of life. And, you know, so older people might say, just suck it up, let's go, right? And I get that. 
Uh, some people might roll their eyes because uh, they've really been ingrained in, in the church, and the church sometimes doesn't like to talk about things like emotional wounds because it just, it's a little bit too backwards looking, and sometimes the church wants to just move ahead, right? Just have faith. Just be positive. Just keep going. So sometimes we roll our eyes at the idea of really addressing emotional wounds. Uh, other types of people who might roll their eyes at this are kind of the man's man people, right? The the masculine machismo type that just says, you know, this idea of dealing with my wounds, I'm just not down with. Let's just, you know, go watch football. But I would caution us, and I would just say, hey, listen, I understand you don't want to just sulk in wounds, particularly wounds of the past. You don't want to be identified or chained to wounds of the past. But I will also tell you that it is helpful to identify those wounds and where those wounds come from, particularly if you were wounded in your childhood. Uh, science, as well as scripture, and we'll see here in a minute, really ingrains this idea that where we were emotionally wounded in our childhood does have impacts going forward. You might have been abused as a child. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, you may have been neglected. You might have grown up in a dysfunctional home, fighting, anger, threats, violence, or addictions. You might have lost a loved one when you were very young and, and you weren't able to process that. I remember I lost one of my closest friends in middle school. He uh, drowned in a river. I mean, it's just a horrible thing. And I was very young, I think maybe 11 years old. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to verbalize it. And so these things can linger. Um, I also was raised in a, in a household that, was, uh, that had addiction in there and sometimes resulted in some anger and some terrible things said. These are things that have an impact for the rest of your life. In fact, I remember um, when I, we were, first went to family therapy I was in high school at the time, maybe junior or senior. Uh, we went to a therapist in Corona and we're talking about you know, alcoholism and anger and the things that were said. And at the end, the therapist looked at me and said, uh, you have a problem. I don't have the problem. My alcoholic dad has the problem. What are you talking about? I have the problem. She says, you have the power to change the tone in your house and you're actually using that power for, for bad. You're hurting your house. I'm like, I was so upset. I left there. I mean, I stormed out of that place. I was silent all the way on the ride home. But after some time, I started to realize that she was absolutely right. I was a wounded person, not making the transition to become a healer of my household, but I was using my wounds to create further wounds in the household punishments, resentments, lack of forgiveness, all this stuff. And it was having an impact on my own future. I had built walls around me because people who were close to me had hurt me. And so I'm just building walls. And I knew over time that that was not going to be helpful when it comes to marriage and family. And so I had to really walk a process of recovery from emotional wounds. And the reality is we are all emotionally wounded to one degree or another. Some of us had horrific childhoods, horrific abuse, and, and that has to be dealt with or you will carry the impacts of that going forward. We look at the ministry of Jesus. We look at the life of Jesus and we see that he was emotionally wounded. I mean, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was cursed. Uh, Jesus was accused. He was slandered. Uh, I mean, he experienced the worst accusations that could possibly be levied against a human being. He was left alone by his own friends. I mean, he's emotionally wounded. And in fact, his entire life and ministry ends up where? On a cross. He ends up crucified. Where on the cross, he is expressing this incredible wound from an emotional level. My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? He's crying out from the cross, I have been forsaken. This was his human experience. As his own disciples left, they're running for the hills. And as he's feeling, even at being abandoned by God himself, this is Jesus, the fullness of God in a human being experiencing emotional wounds. But he rises from the dead, right? And he rises with the scars of his wounds. And that's there for a reason, right? Jesus himself is a wounded healer. But all of us, from Jesus to us today, we can rely on the promise of God, Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you have these wounds in your own life, God is near to you. He never, ever leaves you. And he will walk with you, spirit to spirit. And he will walk with you as human beings in the name of God, love you and accept you and embrace you and patiently guide you forward. Don't lose heart if you're struggling with emotional wounds. What about people struggling with mental illness? Mental illness categories and treatments are not a part of God's word. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, um, the science of uh, mental illness is really nowhere in the Bible, but the evidence of mental illness is in the Bible, and how we relate with people who are mentally ill is in the Bible, particularly in the ministry of Jesus, right? Here's Jesus, and he is relating with people who struggle. That is his jam. That is his specialty. He is seeking and saving that which is lost. That's his job description. Seek and save the lost, which includes those who are mentally ill. We see a hint of this in Luke 7:21. He's just starting out his ministry. He's just beginning. At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases. So we get diseases. There's something physically ailing you. There are afflictions. Afflictions. What's that? There are evil spirits. Again, what's that? And he granted sight to many blind people. And so there's this list of people that Jesus is caring for, and he specifically uses the word afflicted. That word in the original language is a profound and acute distress. This is not physically related. That's the word disease. There's a different word, affliction. A profound and acute distress. And we see in the ministry of Jesus and the examples of where Jesus encountered people who were in profound and acute distress. And we see that Jesus is bringing comfort and care to people who struggle with mental illness. The reality is, as we know now, one in four people will have a diagnosed mental illness. One in four people will have a diagnosed mental illness. And, and there are many diagnosable mental illnesses, including anxiety disorders, depression, obsessive compulsive disorders, dissociative disorders, eating disorders, post-traumatic stress disorders, phobias. One in four of us will struggle with a diagnosable mental illness. And it's oftentimes difficult to talk about that in church because we over-spiritualize everything, right? We used to over-spiritualize physical disease, right? That that was some kind of attack of the enemy. Now we know through science that it's not an attack of the enemy, it's a physical disease. But still, oftentimes in church circles, we will not deal with mental illness as a disease. We will deal with it in the spiritual realm, under attack, Satan's getting me, whatever. When really it is an illness of the mind every bit as much as physical ailments are, are diseases of the body. And so just over the last several decades, we're finally starting to realize this, and the church, thank God, is finally starting to understand that mental illness is not just a spiritual battle, it is a very physical battle, chemical battle. We see that again in the Psalms. This struggling, struggling person, now listen to what this, the psalmist said. 
Why am I discouraged? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Can you relate with that? Some of you have asked yourself that same question. Why am I so sad? Why am I so anxious? That is unique to suffering from mental illness because when it comes to emotional wounds, you can point to some trauma. Yes, this was my past. This was a loss that happened in my life. Uh, This was a person who rejected me or betrayed me. And so I can point these emotions to some traumatic event that impacted my emotions. Mental illness oftentimes is different. Why am I discouraged? Why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? Why do I feel so sad? Why do I feel this darkness? Why do I feel this hollowness? And, And you can't pinpoint it. Something's happening in the brain. But listen to what the psalmist says. But I will put my hope in God. He doesn't say, I'm going to be delivered. He doesn't say, pray the pain away. He says, I'm going to put my hope in God. God is going to be here for me. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. I love that. That's a road of recovery. That's a journey for this psalmist and a journey for us as well who struggle with the, the, these, these mental illnesses that, that just might have a hold on us. And, and we could get discouraged, but instead we can say, God is with me. He promises that. He will walk me through. He promises that. And the Spirit of God will be in friends and family members in Celebrate Recovery who surround me with love and surround me with grace and surround me with acceptance just as I am. And I'm gonna walk a road of recovery going forward. If you are struggling with mental illness, please get help from your doctor. Please get help through recovery programs. There are so many people who wanna help you so much. Don't think you're alone. Don't, Don't walk in any kind of shame. Admit what's going on in your head. Admit what's going on in your heart reach out and get some help. If you are a family member um, that has someone with severe um, mental illness, uh, also reach out for help because sometimes it can control your entire household. If you have someone in your family who is struggling with deep mental illness, it can control your entire household. Reach out, get help, get counseling, join a recovery program. Let's talk about people who struggle with addiction. Again, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, when the Bible was written, they knew nothing about um, addiction science. We know that now, but the Bible, not unusual, has a lot to say about the ailments and the suffering that so many of us deal with, including addiction. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Real simple. Real simple. This is referring to, obviously, someone who has a repeated habit of being drunk with wine to the point where their life is being ruined, right? This is clearly talking about addiction and this invitation that there's freedom being filled with the Holy Spirit. So essentially saying, hey, you're walking this pattern, right? A lifestyle of being addicted to alcohol that is ruining your life. There's a better path of recovery where instead of being addicted to a substance, you are walking close with God by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, 2,000 years ago, alcohol was the main drug of choice. There were opioids around, addictive opioids around uh, during the Roman Empire. They were pretty lightweight compared to modern opioids. They were um, uh, addictive back then, but not as much as alcohol. Alcohol was the drug uh, of choice uh, in, uh, in the time of Jesus and probably now as well. Um, to be clear, alcohol is never forbidden in the Bible, never In fact, alcohol is written about all over the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. 
one of the main parts of the Passover feast and the Passover celebration, which is the cornerstone celebration of the Old Testament, right, involves at least four glasses of alcohol, of wine, right? Then you have the Last Supper, where Jesus has gathered his disciples in the upper room. He's just about to face the cross. They're, they're enjoying the Passover meal together with all the wine, and Jesus says, listen, I'm going to redefine the celebration. This is no longer a celebration of being delivered from Egypt. This is a celebration of a new covenant in my blood. And what's the symbol of the blood of Jesus? It's wine. So they enjoy that wine together as a community of friends. The Bible never says um, to be completely abstinent of alcohol. However, it makes it very clear that when we are mastered by alcohol or mastered by anything else, then we have something that needs to be dealt with. I love 1 Corinthians 6.12. The apostle Paul says this, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Pretty plain language, right? We have the right to drink alcohol, just as we have the right to eat a sandwich. Over time, too many sandwiches are gonna be a problem. Over time, too much alcohol is gonna be a problem. So it's really about having this sense that I'm just not gonna be mastered by anything, whether it's a substance or whether it's a behavior, to say it's not good, it's not healthy, as the Apostle Paul says, it's not beneficial to be mastered by anything. And so we have to be kind of aware of where we might be mastered, either by a substance or by a behavior. And lest we start judging the alcoholic or drug addict too harshly, which is kind of the easy thing to do. When we talk about recovery, when we talk about addiction, our minds might immediately go to the alcoholic, it might immediately go to the drug addicted, and we put that in a category, right? Well, that's them. Well, be careful. Because I think we're all addicted to something. I think every single one of us is addicted to something. What is an addiction? An addiction is a compulsive engagement in rewarding behavior despite adverse consequences. So you keep going to something for a reward, yet it's impacting your life negatively. That's an addiction. And I think we all have some addictions, if we were to be honest. There are certainly addictions of alcohol, and uh, the pandemic did not do that any favors. I mean, uh, drink makers were absolutely going to the bank on the pandemic, and now there are many millions more people addicted to alcohol now than perhaps there ever has been. It is a real problem. Drug addiction, of course, with opioids, pain pills, um, meth, um, the legalization of drugs. I know it's very complicated, but these are becoming more ubiquitous. There are behavioral addictions as well, not just substance, but behavioral addictions, which can include overeating. If we eat more calories than it takes to survive on any given day, we probably are pursuing pleasure that has negative adverse uh, consequences. Uh, gambling, shopping, uh, working is a major addiction. Gaming is a major addiction. Pornography is an addiction. Uh, sex can be an addiction. Social media is a major addiction that has negative consequences. Social media is a major addiction that has negative consequences. Social media is a major addiction that has negative consequences. I mean, you can argue helping to ruin this country, but people just cannot help themselves. Ding, 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 notification, 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 notification. Huge addiction that has huge negative consequences. Uh, I didn't read this anywhere, so uh, I invented this part. Take it or leave it. I think pride is an addiction. Pride is an addiction. 
If we exaggerate stories about ourselves to impress other people and we just can't help it, we're telling a story about a fish we caught, you know, but we're always telling stories about ourselves and we tend to exaggerate. That's an addiction of pride. Social media uh, can be an addiction of pride as well. Uh, If we're exaggerating our life on social media and we keep doing that, and we're using not just filters to make us look better than we are, but telling stories that make us look better than there are, and our perfect children, of course, you know, they're geniuses and so gifted and every single way. We are exaggerating our lives. Why? We're addicted to pride, making ourselves look good, bragging about ourselves. The people who always have to tell a story about themselves, you know, somebody tells a story about this, well, you got to insert your own story that one-ups everybody else. You're a one-upper. It's an addiction of pride. So there's all kinds of addictions and religion can be an addiction, right? Absolutely can be an addiction. Here's a little test as to whether or not you're addicted. Can you easily avoid the behavior for a week? Can you easily avoid the behavior for a week? Alcohol, social media, gaming, whatever it is. Can you lay it down for a week without going, (laughs) you know? If you are drawn, like, I need this to happen, you're addicted. Now, I'm not saying that to pile on guilt, right? This is not a guilt place. Rancho is not a guilt place, right? Rancho is a freedom place. But I say this to give us humility because it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, the alcoholic. Oh, yeah, the drug addicted. Oh, yeah, the the people who are without homes. Oh, yeah, it's them. All of us have tendencies to do things seeking reward that we're actually dependent on, that is causing us harm. It could be harm to ourselves or harm to others. All of us, to one degree or another, are addicted to something. Not to pile on guilt, but to say, let's have the humility to avoid judging people who are addicts. Um, I am connected, as I've said before, with several people in town who are without homes, and, and you would see them on the streets, and you would have everything roll through your mind in terms of how you might look down on them and judge them, and the homeless, and the addicts, and the drug addicted. Sit down with them. Hear their stories of how they lost their father when they were two years old, about how they uh, had a drug-addicted mom, about how they were ridiculed when they were young, about how they suffered with mental illness and how they medicated themselves. You start to get to know human beings behind the addiction, and you start realizing that there's a story here that's very complex. And yes, we all make our choices as we go as well, so there's some responsibility for sure. But let's not lose compassion and and, and humility and humanity towards human beings in all of this, right? I love uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Addiction is common to all of us. We are all tempted towards some kind of addiction. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so where you are drawn, where you are tempted, where the gravity of maybe, you know, bad behaviors are, are taking you because maybe of some emotional wounds and, and because of maybe some mental illness and, and you're drawn to things that will, will self-medicate you or, or give you the stimulus you need to kind of get through. Understand that you have your own story that draws you towards those negative behaviors that have adverse consequences, but also know there's a way of escape. And that way of escape is humility. That way of escape is identifying your story. Where are your wounds? Where perhaps is there a a mental illness? Identify that, reach out, get some help. You know, join Celebrate Recovery, see a therapist, join a community group, be honest, be open, be vulnerable, and walk a journey of recovery. And the reality here, and I'm talking about at Rancho now, 
The reality here is that everybody's welcome here. Everybody is welcome here. Everybody with any past, with any failure, past, present, or future, you are welcome here to this place. And when you're here, you will be taught God's grace every single Sunday. You will be taught God's love, how much God cares about you. You will see God through Jesus, not through religion, not through laws, not through rules and regulations and expectations, but through Jesus. You will see, as Jesus did with Lazarus, how much God loves everyone and how much God loves you. You do not have to clean yourself up to get here. You do not. You do not have to clean yourself up to come to faith. You do not have to clean yourself up to be baptized. You do not have to clean yourself up um, to walk with Jesus. You do not. But when you're here and when you experience God's grace and when you experience God's love and when you experience God's acceptance, you're gonna have some eyeballs on you who love you and say, you know what? You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay stuck in your emotional trauma. You don't have to stay stuck in your addiction. You don't have to stay stuck in a loneliness about your mental illness. We can walk a journey ahead and that journey will be complicated. It won't be the straight line up. It won't be pray the pain away. It will be complicated. You will have extreme success and you may have extreme failures, but we're gonna keep walking and keep loving. And that grace never ends, never ends, never ends. And one day your story might sound very much like Rich Zerber, who's been faithfully loving broken people for four decades, five decades, helping to mentor up someone like Linda, who for seven years has experienced some freedom and love and grace, free from the shame that was put upon her for so many years, thinking that there was some big pile of trash between her and God, and she now knows there is nothing there. The love of God has forgiven her. There is no separation between us and God. There is pure grace and pure love and pure acceptance and a community of friends that says, now let's move forward. And let's get that freedom that God wants for all of us. We're gonna close in communion. And the cool thing about communion, and then we'll sing one final song. The cool thing about communion is that it defines Jesus by his suffering, by his struggle, and by his brokenness. There's a thin layer of plastic at the top. You can take that uh, bread if you don't have a cup, please uh, raise your hand and ushers will get you one. Take that bread and I wanna encourage you to break that bread. Take that bread and break it. When Jesus was in the upper room, he took the bread of the Passover and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do you realize when we follow Jesus, we follow a broken savior, a broken body a broken spirit, a broken man. This is my body broken for you. He suffered as we suffer to show us how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. Take that bread, break it, and eat it in remembrance of Jesus. Now take that cup. It is the wine of the Passover meal. And the wine of the Passover meal was shared for a reason. Jesus says, this is my blood which is shed for you. The ministry of Jesus defined by his blood shed for you. His sacrifice to show you how much he loves you. That he died for you. Not only to take your suffering and to take your sin and to take the shame of the world upon himself, but to show you it is all forgiven. 
So take that cup and drink in remembrance of Jesus. We're gonna pray and sing a final song together and this song that we're about to sing is a song that lets us know that Jesus loves us, he cares for us, he walks with us in our pain, he walks with us in our struggles, he walks with us in our failures and that Jesus walks with us over time, a lifetime of being loved by God, a lifetime of loving one another towards the freedom that he's invited us all to enjoy. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the honesty of your word and the honesty of the life and ministry of Jesus. We see throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, cover to cover, uh, men and women who have failed, men and women who know what it's like to suffer, to struggle emotionally, to struggle with mental illness, uh, to not be able to ask the question why they feel in such despair and why they feel the way they feel. But God, your presence is always there. Your help is always there. Your comfort is always there through your spirit and, and through the camaraderie of one another. People who are humble, people who don't judge, people who don't point fingers, people who can all admit that we have our own struggles emotionally and mentally, and, and we all have habits that aren't healthy. And so in humility and love, we walk with people who struggle. We walk with people in grace and love and forgiveness that never ends, it never fails, and never quits. We walk with people through their highest of highs and their lowest of lows. And we walk over time toward the freedom that you've given us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.